Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a handsome surgeon swept her off her feet. Then she found out about his lies. We'll review season three of Dr. Death from Wondery. Plus, rangers investigate the death of a woman in a national park. Did she fall or was she pushed? We'll discuss Hulu's wild crime. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good evening, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcasts, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Ciao, Rebecca. Wow. Is that your homage to Dr. Death season three? I'm doing my best. Well, I'm in. Bella, Bella. I'm in. Let's go get married by the by the Pope immediately. <laughs> yeah. John Legend will I'm in. sing some songs for us. Bill Clinton will give the speech. I am totally in. Oh, my gosh. So, you guys, I have to take a poll here today. Okay, we're ready. The poll is, the question is, is this a parenting win or am I going to be paying for therapy for the rest of my child's life? Both okay? can be true. Number two, let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. What's what's the question, Laura? So they have a little writing prompt every morning, and occasionally I go read to see what my child is writing. Type one, it says, I can't fully remember most of the stories my family told me as a kid. However, the only one off the top of my head was my mom improvising one time when I was little and I was throwing a fit. My mom told me a story about the evil family that could smell naughty kids and would come over and stomp on my toys and break them. Mm. And then after... She texted her friend to call our landline and say, Will, have you been naughty and hung up? I freaked out even worse, but it worked. This was used multiple times. Oh, no. You know what it is? The end. You know, we used what? Santa Cam. Santa Cam, yeah. Do you remember? I used to hang, so like way before that fucking stupid elf on the shelf thing, which by the way, I'm sorry, parents who use it. I, I don't get it. And I'm not saying it's fucking stupid for you. I'm saying it was stupid for me. I used to hang a tissue box in the corner of my fridge all year round with covered with foil. And because I had one kid who's now wonderful, but who as a child was terrible. And when he was being terrible, I would just point and be like, Santa Cam. Santa Cam, motherfucker. Santa Cam. And it worked. It was terrifying. It looked, quote, Real? It sounds like you came up with something even better than like a phone call. 
Yeah, well, we had these people. They were called the Lebonbons. And Mrs. Lebonbon was very, very rude. And you didn't want her to come to your house because she was so rude that she like ate with her mouth open and talked loud and was mean. And so the thing was that Mrs. Lebonbon could smell bad children. And if she did come to your house, she would like break your toys. So when Will was acting, I'd be like, oh, oh, Will, I think the Lebonbons might be driving by and they might smell you. And then I would text my friend and she would call with this very, like, elaborate voice. And she's like, you know, as Mrs. Lebonbon. Mrs. Bonbon, Mrs. Bonbon. But it wasn't like anything you actually, we weren't like Bean Dad or that horrible lady on Twitter who was like burning her kids like Pokemon cards. No, no. You would never actually do it. It was like me with a Santa cam. Like, you weren't actually withholding or breaking things. It was more just like the specter of like me like threatening that Target was actually closed well, I think yes. Laura might have been a little worse. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be used in a podcast sometime in the future. <laughs> like ours. <laughs> the Le Bon Bons. Yeah, the Le bon Bons return. Don't act up, Toby. They might come to Durham next. Wow. Well, <laughs> let me just say this. Will, you've got a lot of fodder for therapies and adults. Yep. And uh, if you need backup, you heard it here, and so did like 50,000 people. So... <laughs> All right. I'm just saying this is like this is like uh, Dirty John season 54. Yeah. <laughs> Should Mr. I text him and ask him if he's been behaving? Mr. Le Bonbon. Le Bonbon. Dirty Le Bonbon. Le Bonbon. No, you can tell they're from Canada. We also used it in a good way. Like if we were at the table, we'd be like, we better put our napkin on our lap. We don't want to be a Le Bonbon. So it was kind of a teaching tool. It's very French Canadian. It's like very New England, right? To threaten them with some like French Canadian villain. Anyway. All right. Well, I think we should have the podcast, Kevin. What do you think? You do not want Clem coming down here to tell you you have bad garçon. <laughs> he come down in his Subaru. <laughs> he drive down Route 3, come to your house. Yes. Throw you down the stairs halfway down. It is a very specific, it's a very specific accent that like no one outside of the west side of Manchester will understand that you just did. It is very specific. I don't know. It's a certain, it's a certain New Hampshire brand of French Canadian import. And it is, yeah, it's very, very specific. But congratulations, it was very good. You met for brains. Yes. I do feel like uh, Suzanne Serretta. Our... She would correct me. No, yes. I actually feel like she would appreciate what oh, she'd you appreciate did. Oh, she'd appreciate my effort? <laughs> yes. She probably knows the west side of Manchester inflection very well. Don't get my daughter. <laughs> ask my daughter Water. for doing her audition. Yeah. Audition. Audition. Yes. All right. I think we should go ahead and start the podcast. Leading off. It, it sounds very ironic, but when you look back now, the best perhaps would have been that the first patient would have died in the operating room because if the patient had died at that time, then everything should have stopped. He was a dashing Italian medical researcher and celebrity transplant surgeon. She was a news producer assigned to tell the story of his work on the cutting edge of regenerative medicine. And when she fell in love with Dr. Paolo Maccarini, Benita Alexander thought she had the man of her dreams. He looked at me, our eyes locked, and he got this little smile on his face and he cocked his head. And it was very subtle, but, you know, it was a little bit of a flirtatious smile. And 
something happened immediately. But Macchiarini was dogged by questions about the ethics of his research and the outcomes of his experimental surgeries. And his grand claims they would be married by the Pope himself at an all-star wedding and live a carefree European life together soon unraveled. In my investigative journalistic gut said all the answers are in Barcelona. Everything you need to know is in Barcelona. Now out from behind the Wondery paywall is Dr. Death, Miracle Man, the third season of the podcast. Host Laura Beale combines con man story elements from both the original Dr. Death and fellow Wondery hit Dirty John. We hear from the woman Macarini wronged and those struggling to expose his research. But is his work too valuable and his charm too strong to end the scams? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Dr. Death, Miracle Man. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So Kevin, here's my question for you. Yeah. I found myself asking while listening to this season of Dr. Death, was there a question at Wondery, who makes this podcast, whether or not this should have been a Dirty John season oh, yeah. or a Dr. Death season? Because this is very much a con man relationship story, just as much as it is a medical scam story. A con man doctor story. Right? What do you think? Yeah, no, I was actually thinking, I actually was thinking about this quite a bit, whether it could have been a Dirty John or a Dr. Death, because this one does have a lot of the elements, like you said, of Dr. Death season one and the original Dirty John. But, you know, I got to imagine, though, if you are a high-performing doctor, a high-performing surgeon, that you are probably also capable of being such a narcissist that if you're going to have, you know, obfuscations in your professional life, you probably have them in your personal life, too. So the two things would go together. What do you think, Laura? I mean, the setup here is con man doctor, but we definitely get the con love story for a long time here. What do you think of that setup? Yeah, I actually liked the way that we set it up with this story about Benita coming in first. I was saying it's kind of reminding me of like Dirty John on steroids. So, we, you know, we start with the Dirty John, uh, we pivot and we get into the international doctor who's got all of this awful stuff going on. But I think setting it up that way, you could see how the story unfolded in a more organic way in terms of, you know, her initial reaction to him. Like, why would she have even questioned him? I mean, she's seeing him in all sorts of other media at that point. And my God, you guys, have you looked at his picture? I yes. mean, he was very handsome. Is. Not was. Is very, is. is very, he is like super sexy. I'm like, oh my God. Like, Benita, I feel you because, you know. It's not like Dirty John and Dirty John season one where it's like he's handsome-ish. This guy is legit. You'd let him play with your trachea? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I would I not. Says, but I would climb in the back of his motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Dirty John season one. I mean, the guy's coming in and like ripped scrubs and wearing the same things all the time. And here we have this guy, Pablo's like wearing this, like, you know, he's looking good all the time. He's dressed nicely. It's, it's like a whole Dirty John times 10 crossed with Dr. Death, but in like an international way, because I think we've heard these stories in the U.S. before. But now we're hearing, I mean, this is like traveling the globe, Russia, everywhere. Now, Toby, you had questions, too, about the organization of this, as did I. I'm thinking about also, like, the um, Dr. Death TV show that we watched, the fictionalized one of Dr. Dunch's season, where it was like a pair of doctors coming together. It was like a buddy movie coming. Because that is a part of this story, too. We have a pair of doctors coming together to try to take him down. But that isn't coming until way later here. And you would think that, like... That's a formula that this company knows works 
for these stories, but like they kind of buried that lead for a Dr. Death season. And I don't want to talk about it like too much, but when I was listening to this, I kind of felt like the quote Dr. Death part of this was not really present. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, they wait quite a long time before you get to the medical malpractice stuff. So I never quite had a sense of what was going on with him and his relationship and matching that up time-wise with what was going on with him and what was going on at the Institute and, and with patients dying and stuff. It wasn't clear to me how that lined up. And I thought, you know, a possible tack that I think I would have found a little more compelling would be to kind of show how this guy just, you know, the wall started closing in on him on these two different fronts was sort of running these scams. And they started, I I think, I mean, I'm not even sure, but it seems like they started to kind of fall apart around the same time. And that seemed like that would have a lot of suspense. Instead, what you get is like, sort of, you know, the Dirty John story, and then it's the Dr. Death story. And then at the end, there's a little bit of mixing up of the two, but they're very discreet. And I don't think that's necessarily to the advantage of the the suspense and, yeah. and your understanding of exactly what's going on. Yeah. And again, it's like this weird thing where you don't really get a sense of how much he must be away. In addition to working at like two or three different institutes, he's got a wife and then he's also got Benita. So he's like pulled in all kinds of different directions. He's got a lot of balls in the air and you never quite get a feeling for that. And then whoever that woman is in Barcelona, right? That woman in Barcelona that we don't even know who she is, like that we never get an answer. I guess I was kind of thinking that maybe they were married. I don't know. They've got a kid at least. Like well, they're Yeah, well, we heard there was an, an ex-wife. There's a family. In and there's Italy. an ex-wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I it was very confusing. He's a lot But that was the thing that I was wondering because in Dr. Death the thing that was really straightforward about it, but also very confusing, was that Duncious was able to ascend to these, all these positions and con people while never actually getting any, like, medical training, right? Like, he was able to sort of, like, smooth talk his way up the ladder through medical school. He was obviously very, very bright and somehow ascend without ever getting his hands on bodies, right? Like, that was, like, the mystery of it all. Like, right. how did he... Like, he didn't get enough practical training. How did he grift yeah. all these really smart people into thinking he was competent enough to get into the operating room? This guy was able to get into the operating like way more elite operating rooms than Dungeness, right? Like he was in these international operating rooms and getting these grants for these like huge international studies, which you can argue is like way more elite and on a big stage. And it sounds like he did actually know how to operate on people. He wasn't a butcher like Dungeon. Well, was. he was a doctor because I, I looked this up because I was definitely like, did he fake his credentials? So he did fake some of his credentials, but he actually had legitimate credentials and schooling going in. He forged some things later on in his career in terms of like, he might have gone somewhere and said he was there for training, but he was there for like a one day seminar or something. But the fact that he was actually a doctor and actually somebody who took like the Hippocratic Oath and should have known ethically and morally like what comes with that, I think makes this even more horrifying than somebody like Dunch, who was just kind of like, you know, a butcher. Yeah. I mean, this guy legitimately actually had some real medical knowledge, which is what makes it so terrifying. Yeah. Well, I just want to put aside the whole like how did Benita get con thing? Because I think we can all agree because it wasn't just Benita. It was all of her very, very smart friends. And by the way, what does con and a con man stand for, Kevin? 
confidence, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It means those guys are really fucking good at it. And like, we can all agree that like, you wouldn't get away with it if you weren't good at it. It's Dr. Death. It's not stupid Benito. Exactly. Like, obviously he was good enough at it that he was able to convince not just Benita, but all of her very, very, very bright friends that everything he said was true. So, Except for Amanda. The one. The one. I mean, the one, but like we heard at the con, by the way, like I cannot believe she taped that conference call and we got to hear in real time her telling her friends that was an incredible piece of tape and good on you, Benita, for capturing that audio for the future podcast and probably movie that's going to be made about this. Good on you. Um, So let's put that aside. We're not going to like shame Benita for being conned by the man that she loved because God knows these men are fucking good at it. So it's not the women's fault. But Let's do talk about the journalist thing, because uh, Toby, she does grapple with that. And we also hear her colleague grappling with it with her. There is a thing there. I mean, he was a subject of a story that she was producing, and it was not a nothing story. It wasn't like a story about a monkey and he was the zookeeper and it was like a tiny little four minute feature. And then they moved on. And oh, by the way, she fell in love with the zookeeper. This was a two hour documentary and this was a high stakes thing. And he was saving lives. And also the reason they got entangled was because she had this husband who was dying. Like it was a high stakes, long term thing. And she did cross a line. Like, what did you think about that part of the story? Yeah, she crossed the line. And I think, you know, if there was ever going to be any follow up, she'd have to recuse herself, right? I mean, I think that's part of it from his perspective is I'm muddying the waters because I'm doing all this messed up stuff. This is going to be the big thing about me. And if I get found out, this is going to make it harder for them to do a follow-up on it. You know, once the the program's over, I guess you can kind of go ahead and, and do what you want. But it, it just, I don't know. Even though she was sort of putting these boundaries, like as long as I'm producing this thing and it hasn't come out yet, then we can't actually be together. But in fact, I think she's fairly emotionally attached to him. And so in that way, the damage is done, right? It's like she's no longer sort of a neutral arbiter of what's going in that documentary. Yeah. But I did find myself thinking, Kevin, Mm -hmm. and this is a thing we've talked about a lot in this podcast, aren't the rules of journalism also sort of fucking arbitrary, like made up. Well, I mean, I guess all <laughs> rules may seem arbitrary, I mean, I'm but... Not, I'm not saying that there aren't rules that should be followed, right? What you are sh- you saying? You shouldn't say, like, it's my opinion that you suck, but I'm also going to cover you in a neutral way. Like, you shouldn't do that. I mean, when you hear her story and you hear, like, all the things that happened, imagine he was a great guy and a straight-up surgeon And they were going to get married by the Pope and everything was true. Would you hold this against her that she crossed this line? Like, would you hold it against her? Yeah, if this hadn't happened, if it had worked out great, would we be holding it against her that she crossed this line? You and I met when you were working in journalism capacities, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I guess... It all worked out great. It worked out great. I mean, what I'm (laughs) going to say, there are rules in place and you might say that they're arbitrary, but when you go into the business, you agree to play by those rules. Right. And so you're supposed to play by those rules. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. But sometimes I, mean, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. But I'm not going to shit on her for her life choices. The heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess that is that's true. But I guess we're only talking about it because it didn't work out and because it turned out this way. Well, even if it worked out, you know, and she, I mean, why didn't it work out? Because she didn't agree with going along with the scam. She could have just been Lady Macbeth and like, yeah, okay, well, fuck those kids and their bad tracheas and you know. Do you? Uh, but but it wasn't just that, Lark. Can you imagine? 
if she hadn't caught on, what would have happened if she hadn't caught on? We're there like a month out from this wedding, right? Yeah. So he said the castle was booked. He said the Pope was booked. Mm-hmm. All these people had bought plane tickets and booked hotel rooms. She had bought, presumably, tens of thousands of dollars worth of dresses and accessories and shoes. I mean, we all know what it costs to have a dress made. We all know what it costs when they do from wedding. She was an NBC News producer. Actually, I don't. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm a woman. Uh, I, used to, I used to work in bridal, coincidentally, but assuming that she was an NBC News producer and a, had a very high salary, but he was also saying, charge whatever you want. And you'll all be reimbursed. And her wedding, the budget she was probably thinking was probably hundreds of thousands of dollars for this wedding. Mm-hmm. She probably spent whatever she wanted. Get, She thought her wedding was going to have several hundred guests, like a multi-million dollar wedding or whatever. What was going to happen when all these people showed up in Italy? Laura, what do you think his plan was? I mean, he was so smooth. And I actually went and looked up that Vanity Fair article that was referenced in this. And there was like all sorts of pictures of her in these amazing, gorgeous, extremely expensive gowns that she had had made for this. So, I mean, that had happened. There was a detail in there about the ring that he gave her, like the price of the ring that he gave her. So that was that was legitimate. I mean, it wasn't a fake. So, I mean, I think that something dramatic would have had to happen where he was helping the Pope escape on a secret plane because there was a terror plot and now he's a hero. And after all that, he needs to take some time off to like recuperate. And then after all that, all that was really important to him was just being with her in a small one-on-one ceremony without all those people. Like, you know what I'm saying? He could just keep spinning the story because he was so good at that, you know? But he's not Mordecai. So it isn't like he can suddenly vanish into a new identity. Yeah, he's uh, a public person. Yeah, so yeah. he would have had to have invented a crisis had one not already befallen him. But he was allegedly marrying a news producer, and there were a bunch of journalists who were going to go. Like, I'm assuming, okay, so if she worked at, like, Dateline. Where did she work? Dateline? Dateline. Yeah. I'm assuming, right, that mm-hmm. there were reporters invited. Like Kate Snow was probably invited yeah. or whatever. I'm assuming there were probably like journalists invited to this. I'm assuming that like there were probably people who were I have like a lot of Twitter followers invited to this. Like if shit went down, like it wasn't gonna be a secret, right? I don't know. Yeah, I just don't I, know what would have happened. That guy's gotten away with so much shit, though. Yeah. Like, he's at a world-class medical institute, and he doesn't even have human subjects approval to do his operations. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. We'll talk about that, Toby, because the world-class medical institution did seem to go above and beyond to quelch the scandal, too, right? Yeah. So that, in part, to me, seemed like almost the most interesting thing if they'd had a little bit more about it is this idea that this institution is ready to like go to the mat for him. Corbacho and the other doctors seemed to be stalled. Their report had not had the desired effect. And worse, now he was the one being investigated. You know, they seem like on the face of it, like the kind of allegations you would take seriously as you are watching people die from these surgeries. In the one case, it's just like an exploration. You know, it's not even a surgery. It's just, it's going to take a look at what the situation is which wasn't even necessary. So yeah, it's weird. And I think that whole thing about when you're part of an organization, the survival of the organization takes precedence over anything else. But it'd be interesting to to hear those conversations where they're sort of consciously having to make those decisions. and, And how do you talk about it in a way that, you know, as a doctor who presumably 
is in it to save lives and stuff, how do you talk yourself into, we got to go along with this or cover this up or somehow talk our way into the fact that this is okay and that the real issue is these other people trying to undermine this revolutionary procedure that's going to change medicine despite all the evidence in front of you. Toby, I'm guessing it's not a whole lot different from the conversations that go on at like a prestigious prep school when a student rapes another student and it's very obvious what happened, but like all the wagons have to circle and it's like, you know, but we just have to protect. You know what I mean? I'm just guessing. I'm guessing it's not like a whole lot different, except here, instead of discrediting like a 15 year old girl, you have to discredit a couple of 50 year old men who also happen to be surgeons because right. that's easier than saying we fucked up and it's our fault. You know what I mean? Like you have to uphold your Nobel Prize giving status just like the prestigious prep school has to uphold the thing that has its $100 endowment, $100 million endowment. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. There's this sort of like that stuff doesn't happen here. That's that's not, you know, what picture are you presenting to the world? I, th- I thought that was an interesting part of it that they don't really get very inside on. Mm. You know, you just kind of see the effect it has and you end up having a bad opinion of the center without much sort of insight into why. Yeah. Well, I do want to just talk very briefly about the Thelma and Louise part of this podcast, which was uh, a real fun part, the little like road trip to Europe that Benita and her friends took to uh, do the wedding that wasn't. Laura, what did you think about this trip to Italy and Barcelona that... Benita and her friends did where they apparently, I'm going to just say for their sake, were driven by another driver (laughs) around Mm -hmm. Europe while drinking and wearing dresses through the wedding sites and then up to Paolo's house in Barcelona, capturing him on tape, sort of, and then capturing Benita using Flynn's Law, (laughs) (laughs) reacting to seeing him in his home with another woman and his children and her reaction to all of that in real time. My main objective was to be able to look him in the eye and say, you motherfucker, how could you have done this to her and everybody else? Thoughts, Lara Bricker. I wanted to go on that road trip so badly. Oh my God. I loved it. I was like, Benita and her badass friends, I love you all. And if I found myself in a similar situation... I think that would be the perfect remedy. I loved that Benita had her wig on, her blonde wig, so she wasn't recognizable. I loved the two, um, you know, that went up to the gates were just like, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they, they just, the way they played out the whole thing was just perfect. But it was also, I mean, God, it was like a little bit like the sisterhood of the traveling pants or something. It was like, there was also like this whole like side story in there of the like female friendship and supporting each other. But It was freaking hilarious. I'm like, I love those women. And I loved the recording of him and also the description about how like his eyes were just like, he knew he was caught. Yeah. But also that despite all of that, you knew they were good people and they were decent people because they're like, we're not going to make a scene. There's little kids inside. He knows. We know. We gotcha. You know. Let's peel out. Yeah. We also get the exact moment that Benita realizes that her relationship with this man is built on lies because you hear her yelling, fuck, 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 fuck. I still had the camera rolling 
And that's where we captured the footage of Benita in the back seat. Fucking little blonde, you asshole! Fuck you! Fuck, fuck, fuck! It's really incredible. The Flynn's Law thing happens a lot in this podcast, which I really like. Well, hold on. Remember, Flynn's Law is it's that, about cults and crazy It's about people. cults, that the craziness of the cult is equal to- That being said- The amount of tape that they have archived about themselves. I will argue that yeah. Apollo was himself a little bit of a cult leader here, a liar who indoctrinated Benita, who then documented her dealings with him as a cult of one. So she documented a lot of it, her talking to her friends about him, his talking to her- about him, lots of tape, cult of one, Flynn's law applies, in my opinion. It could be Flynn's second law of, <laughs> like Newton. That's right, that's right. So, Kevin, just one quick thing. Yeah. Wondery was acquired by Amazon a little while back. Yeah. Ever since that acquisition, they've gotten really quality people come to work at Wondery, like Kathy Tu, formerly of the New York Times at WNYC, running a big part of their podcast division. We've heard some really great restrained audio from Wondery since that acquisition. We've heard some great partnerships through 912, through things like Suspect, and now this. Has the audio quality changed, yes or no, from Wondery in the you last the few months? S- the sound design? The where you cheesiness have... has like definitely dialed down, has it not? Well, I noticed in this one it had. I mean, it still had plenty of dial tones and slamming doors and shit like that. But the amount of embellishments, I think, was slightly down. It's, it's hard to find the right amount, because if you think about Gladiator, that soundscape was so rich. And then if you think about Manslaughter, it was like, a parody. Yeah. So to find the right balance is hard. But, I, you know, I always say with Wondery, more is more. And I think that, you know, less ought to be more. So I think, you know, this is good. But I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to, like, kill them on this because I know it's their style. Look, Bond movies have shootouts. Marvel movies have flying people. It's just like... Wondery's just going to let their audio engineers go ham and put whatever the hell they want. Uh, I think it's getting better. I really do. Let's just leave it at that. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Dr. Death Season 3 from Wondery? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Dr. Death Season 3? Yeah. So, you know, this this definitely gave me plenty of rage walking material this week. My walks actually got up to like four miles a few times because I wanted to listen to more than one episode and just hoping that he got caught and how did he get caught. And, you know, this is a story to me. It was a little bit like Elizabeth Holmes in terms of somebody that managed to do people in like this high tech sort of international bigger setting than just Dr. Death season one. Very interesting. And we have a lot of great tape from Benita who was intimately involved in this. So I, I like this podcast. Toby Ball. It's okay. I, I think it could have really used a little more imaginative arrangement. It, it just basically plays out like two stories told back to back that have this one guy as a thing that's in common. And I think, you know, a little bit more thought about how you can weave this, the narratives together a little bit and give you a sense of a bunch of things happening would have been helpful. That being said, there's a lot of good tape. It's two pretty compelling stories. So I, you know, I give it a mild thumbs up. I mean, it, it's it's basically well done. It just could have been better, in my opinion. Kevin Flint. I'm going thumbs up. Uh, Laura Beal does a great job uh, with this. I, I think that this one is better than Dr. Death Season 2. Not as good as Dr. Death Season 1. It's going to be always, always hard to top that. But it is right on brand for uh, this series, even though it's got sort of the bonus of having a Dirty John feel to it as well. It took a while to realize that it's Benita's story because she's introduced as an investigative journalist talking about the subject, and we hear from her almost exclusively for the first two episodes. 
So it wasn't until then and I realized, oh, the reason why we're sticking to hearing so much from her is not because she's a journalist commenting on it. It's because she's a, she is a character in the story. Other than that quibble, I thought it was pretty good. And um, yeah, and I would go thumbs up with this. Yeah, I liked this story. I will say I would have liked it a lot more if it were a Dirty John season. And they had leaned. Why is that? Because, granted, his uh, medical stuff is real bad. But the tape isn't as good. And I'm going to be just really gross about it. Because the story is better there and it's more important. But for a podcast, for this medium, there is more material for the personal story. And Benita, we have the central figure here for the personal story and the medical story is important and it could could have been told through the lens of the personal story like really well and we could have gotten all the same information and we could have gotten all of that but leaning into it through her finding out all the stuff as we went through this personal journey and really leaning into it and having it be a dirty john season i think could have been in some ways stronger because we sort of promised like a medical story here and then we got like you know, six episodes of basically Dirty John. By the way, that's just, it's mostly branding. But what I'm saying is, I guess what I'm saying is, to Toby's point, it had a lot to do with editing and organization. I felt like a lot of the medical stuff was sort of shoved in to sort of fulfill a Dr. Death promise, because that's what the podcast is. When the producers of this show knew that the Benita relationship stuff was the strongest stuff. So what I would say is thumbs up, but make it a dirty John. It could still be hosted by Laura Beal or perhaps be dropped in both feeds, both the dirty John feed and the Dr. Death feed. But like, I honestly do think that the framing around the con of the relationship is the heart of this, given the material they had. And that's how I I just would have framed it and presented it. And then perhaps fleshed out the medical stuff either separately. Make Maybe one approach would have been to tell this two ways. Do the Benita stuff in the Dirty John feed and the Dr. Death stuff separately with a separate team of producers in the Dr. Death feed? Oh, I don't know if we would have liked Actually, that. Actually, that would have been really fucking interesting. Actually, I thought maybe that would have been really interesting. Anyway, so thumbs up for me. Uh, not huge, just because I think it was more Dirty John than Dr. Death. But yeah, still thumbs up. I liked it. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. So, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Business section! I need to say one thing real quick. Yeah. Everyone on the planet needs to listen to the brand new The JV Club with Janet Varney to hear oh, yes. a new episode with Lara Bricker. It is amazing. I learned so much, including that Lara Bricker was a child con man um, <laughs> forced to not only, as we've heard on this podcast, go to horse auctions and sneak up on other horse auctioneers mm-hmm. and like find out what the prices of horses actually were, whatever. But here's the most amazing thing. A, yeah. she had to fight for generator privileges so she could use a curling iron in high school. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. She moved in with her college boyfriend while in high school, and apparently no one noticed because she was a, <laughs> a child of benign neglect. Um, but the worst con that she had to pull off of all, which I don't know whether to laugh, cry, hug her, kiss her, or punch her parents Aww. in the face. Yeah. But mostly I just want to hug her and, and give her Aww. all the support and love I can. This is the con she had to pull off. This is what she was forced to do as a child. Yeah. She grew up on a horse farm, but it, was, it wasn't like a fancy, like, Tony, like, Kentucky no. horse farm like the likes of Jennifer Lawrence growing up on. This is a horse farm where, like, there was a lot of horses. People come and buy them. So people come and buy a horse like a, like a rich parent for their kid or whatever. Laura's job was to, like, pretend, Sir, if there was only one horse I could keep, it would be that one. So if you want to buy that one for your kid, that's great. But just so you know, it's the best one. <laughs> and that's oh how, like, they would get the money for the horse. Is by Burra, I want the horse that's going to crush that was, child's feelings. Yeah, <laughs> she was. I was like uh, Doctor Death. Yes, horse yeah. You're you the were Dr. like Death of horses, you were like yeah. you were like as Janet said, you were like Tatum O'Neill and Paper Moon. All right, don't give away mm-hmm. the whole podcast for poor yeah, Janet. Yeah. So anyway, but seriously, I learned Lara so much about you that really helped me understand you. And love you so much more. And also, everyone, it also was very interesting. Everyone needs to listen to that. All right, so Kevin, what else do we have going on our Patreon right now? Well, we've got the Crime Writers on After Show. What are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about the season finale of Only Murders in the Building. (gasps) We are. Yeah, it was great. I hope everybody watched it, Toby. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I watched it. Oh, I don't know if he's ex- as oh excited. God. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about oh it. Toby don't like Toby. it. Toby. All right. All right let's save you. it. Save uh, it for the let's after save show. It. What we've, else have we got going on in our Patreon, We've got Kevin? a new episode of Leave It to Bricker Out. It's about Exeter's secret tunnels. Was mm. it the Underground Railroad? Was it bootleggers? Or was it just prep school kids who were, just couldn't stand being out in the cold? I don't know. Laura Bricker's on the case. Along with Barbara at the Historical Society. She's on the case, too. I love her. Also this week, we've got the new recording of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. It's going to be recording on Wednesday night. The podcast will be out shortly thereafter, but folks who are in the CWO Nation level, they get to watch the live recording and even take part by submitting questions in chat or jumping on the screen and asking their own questions. Toby, remind us the book and the guests. Uh, the guests are uh, Kimberly from Day with Day Line Yay! and Alex Segura. And we're going to be talking about Beast in View nice. by Margaret Millar or Miller. Millar. I'm going with Millar, Millar. but it's probably Miller. Okay. I hope all this comes together because uh, at this very moment, Rebecca, you and I are on vacation in Mexico. That's what I was going to say. Does Toby so, know how to do this without us? Oh, he's been doing it for a long time. Oh, great. But if a crisis Ooh. breaks out, I mean, everybody. We can't help. We're going to be gonna in a beach. It's just going to be a whole week of autopilot. We're going to be in a cantina. Yeah, there was one where there was a problem. We had to switch to YouTube. Oh, I mean, not no. God, YouTube, Zoom. We switched uh-huh. to Zoom. Like animals going to Zoom. Yeah, like yeah. the rest of the world. <laughs> we got all, the, all the audience was on Zoom, too. It was fun. Nice. Way to pivot, Toby. I'm very impressed. And later this wow. week, uh, there'll be more information revealed about Patreon's trick or true crime event. But you don't have to be a Patreon at all to uh, take part. Watch for some announcements in our social media or look for the hashtag on social media about trick or true crime. And uh, we're going to be doing, uh, we're, t- we're going to be participating as well. Like I said, you can 
knock on our door and you can hear uh, an edition of my adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. In which you sound like a big weenie. Yeah, I had to do Ooh. a really bad voice, but uh, you know, you can't go back in time and you know change those kinds of things, Rebecca. You just got to live know. with your mistake. Listen, when we started this podcast, I sounded like a big weenie. So, well, I mean, I can't go back in time and fix Rick and Bob Crane, and you can't go back in time and fix my earnest Rebecca Lavoy voice from 2014. No, I probably could change the audio and like dub myself <gasps> in differently. You know what you could do? What you could do like a a, a Murdoch Murders podcast style like voice distortion <laughs> thing, where you're like. What are some of the lines from Legend of Sleepy Hollow? You can be like, know. it's horseman. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Sarah Royer and Gretchen Jones. Bless you. Thank you, Sarah and Gretchen, for supporting us on Patreon. And Kevin, if folks want to do that, how can they find our Patreon? You can go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And if you want to follow us and find out what's going on on the show, how can everyone do it for free? They can go to www.crimewriterson.com and you can just put your email in at the top and get the free newsletter. Yes, the newsletter has all sorts of stuff in it. Good stuff, right? Oh, yeah. It's the place you want to go if you want to buy a pair of Crime Writers on leggings. That's right. See all the photos of people wearing our leggings, including a woman who's on a cruise, uh, like sailing out on of cruise, Rome yeah, right yeah. now, wearing our leggings. Laura Bricker wearing our leggings. It's, it's pretty incredible. All right. Thus ends the business section, right? End it. Let's end it. Let's fade that music out right now. Moving on. She was laying on her back, and her head was wrapped. It was obvious she had a head wound. Her eyes were partially open, and I evaluated her for a pulse and respirations. I told Harold, I'm sorry, but she's gone. In 2012, Harold Henthorne called park rangers for help after his wife, Tony, fell from a ridge on Deer Mountain. He said they'd been on an anniversary hike in the National Park, but a closer look at the remote scene raised questions for investigators. There's a lot of things here that don't add up. He said he was doing CPR the whole time. If he'd been doing mouth-to-mouth, that lipstick would have been smeared more around her face. As members of the park's investigative services branch tried to determine whether Tony fell or was pushed, they learned that years earlier, Harold's first wife also died in an accident while changing a tire in a remote location. And he heard a scream and he said he ran to the front of the vehicle and he could see that the vehicle had dropped and was laying on his wife. In Wild Crime from ABC News and streaming on Hulu, viewers are taken into the biggest case of a little-known federal law enforcement agency, combining the mystery of a true crime with the scenery of a nature documentary. Can investigators prove the difference between an accident and a homicide and get justice for Harold's two wives in the process? Now we're going to be talking about plot points for Wild Crime, so to remain spoiler-free... Go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Kevin, this is a classic true crime procedural in the style of Dateline and 2020. We should just get that out of the way, right? Yeah, except that it's four parts. But we should also say the twist here or the thing that makes it different is we are looking at investigative uh, units that we don't typically see, which is this National Park's crime service branch which 
I happen to be very fascinated by because of a series of novels I've been reading that looks at the National Parks Investigative Service Branch, which is fucking fascinating to me personally. And we have a very interesting protagonist here in this story. Um, so yeah, that's supposed to be the hook, right? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I do like the concept that there are national park investigators and that they deal with stuff in like extreme conditions. I I don't feel like they seem like, you know, the elite unit that they make out, you know, in the intro. It just, you know. Listen, they can hike. They can hike. Look, yeah, that's that's really different. But they more or less position this as like an understaffed unit that doesn't get a lot of these kinds of cases. So there's some inexperience to the crime, not sort of like the commandos of the National Park Service, you know, that they're building them up to be. But I do like a look at, you know, something like this. We don't hear a lot of, you know, true crime from the postal inspectors yeah. or, oh my God, that would you know, be so or before arson investigators. So we've had a couple recently or, you know, different kinds of, you know, law enforcement units that you don't usually think about. And so that part I thought was a really interesting concept for a series. Right. So Toby, I see this as a huge missed opportunity because your first note says this could have been 25 minutes long. I agree. But isn't this a missed opportunity to take a look Inside of a law enforcement agency that isn't like traditional cops, because Kevin says like they don't really show them as elite. They don't like show that. But I happen to know only because I know people who work for the Park Service. They're actually very fucking hard jobs to get because a lot of people want to work for the Park Service, like outdoorsy people. They go to college for it or whatever, but they're actually very few and far between these jobs. And to become like the one investigator who works at Yellowstone or whatever, it's like one job. It's not nothing. And I actually think it could be an interesting show, but this is basically just like Dateline Parks Edition. I don't know. I felt like it was a wasted opportunity. What do you think, Toby? Well, the case has almost nothing to do with the the murder happens in a park, but nothing else to do with the case has anything to do with the parks at all. It's not really a parks case. He just chose that spot to do the murder. Otherwise, everything else is just absolutely conventional. So when I first saw the first like 30 seconds or whatever, where they're like, you know, the roughest terrain, the most dangerous crime scenes and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, all right, this could be awesome. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, well, these guys went hiking and he pushed her off a cliff. But really, the real story is all this other stuff that has nothing to do with parks or the wilderness or anything. So if it was a thing where the wilderness or the parks like played a significant role in the crime other than it just they he happened to do it on that one day when they were there or planned to do it there that would have been one thing and i think there's a lot of crime that occurs as they talk about at the beginning it's like you got millions and millions of people going through these parks and stuff just happens yeah and i you know i've personally read about some stuff that's happened where i think you could have had a lot more to do with what the promise is yeah. And this, to me, it was like just a super, super long, not very interesting or particularly unusual case yeah. that they kind of tried to glom into this this formula yeah. because it just happened to happen on National Park uh, land. Which is a bummer because it was a conventional case, a Dateline case. They put it in this frame, but they also had a really freaking cool investigator. They could have made it about her. And instead they made it about this guy who committed a very, like, for lack of a better word, and I hate to say, 
conventional murder, but like it could have been well, about- Wasn't exactly a conventional no, murder. But it could, no, but what I'm saying is his, his murder case could have been on any type of show. It could yeah, have been on any yeah. investigation discovery show. It didn't have to be on a show about the parks. It could have been on, you know, right. a bunch of different formula well, shows. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, Lara, uh, you, your first note to me says, not a lot of mystery here. What do you mean by that? Well, I, like we know up front, it's like this traditional dateline setup with like she falls off the cliff when they're out there. You're like, oh, okay, he did it. So, I mean, it's not <laughs> like Wait a minute. A big what do you mystery. mean, Laura? Allegedly. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, not a lot of whodunit mystery right here um, going into this. Like we know, oh, he probably pushed her. We know he's probably been caught since this show has been made. So, you know, we're going into that, like you were saying before, there was sort of this missed opportunity because, like, within that, you've got this super cool investigator, Beth, who, by the way, has, like, an awesome tattoo. The best. The best tattoo. She's compassionate, no nonsense. She's just a unique character. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's a character that would show up in some, like, fictional, like, Jerry Boyle book in Maine who does those, like, Maine mysteries like that. She just... She was so interesting. And then, you know, she walks out there and she's like, yep, well, the only reason you're going to come out here is if you're going to, like, push someone off a cliff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. She's like like an Archer Mare character. You know what I mean? When we recreated their steps, there's no trail where Tony and Harold had lunch. It's not cleared in any way. And it's pretty difficult hiking. There's absolutely no reason that you would think there's a scenic view just a quarter mile off the trail I wish I had had more of her because that was more interesting to me than the like who done it done it because we knew who done it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I will say our friend Janet Varney introduced me to an author Christine Carbo who wrote a trilogy of novels about these national parks investigative guys and they're freaking great. They all take place in Montana and it's a series of novels in the style of the Tana French books where each book has a different investigator that was in the book before and I loved them. Thank you, Janet, for introducing me to them. And the first time I met Beth, I was like, oh, my God, it's like Monty from the Christine Carbo books. They're great. Beth, unfortunately, totally wasted in this because she was also really good on camera, which, as we know, Kevin, because we've been talking heads in shows like this, it's hard to do. It's hard to be like on 2020 or Dateline and be a cop or be a writer and actually be good at this. And she's really yeah. good at this. Yeah, well, they certainly, I mean, you could tell by her clothes and the lack of continuity in the interviews. They talked to her several times. They relied on her. Yes. Well, I mean, that's who I would go back to, of course, <laughs> because she was, you know, yeah, you're right. It could have been much more about her. They did try to get her into the frame as soon as possible, even though we start off with hearing from the rangers who respond and go out into the you know the woods at night to rescue people. I guess that's the elite unit. But yeah, I mean, there's a couple different ways it could have told this. It seems to have a, an awful lot of its DNA in a television news feature visually. You know, and a part of that, of course, is that it was produced by ABC News. It doesn't have a look of a documentary no. film, you know, the eye to the camera. It also has a lot of hero shots. The hero shot, which is the shot where you see somebody standing there and they like slowly like turn to the camera. Well, we should do that in walk. our newsletter, that gift. Where you go? Whoop, yes. I stand there and like look off, look off to the side. Okay, now find the lens. Find the lens and you turn and, you know, they even made like the brother do it and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So so it didn't look like a, an elevated presentation, nope. it, but it was it was thorough. Yeah. But Beth was awesome. All right. So, Toby, let's talk about the case a little bit and how they talked about it. Um, 
There are a lot of hackneyed descriptions of the victims. And one of the things they do, which really bothered me, was instead of just saying, like, these two women are dead and they shouldn't be dead or whatever, they kept describing and leaning on these descriptions of the victims as being, like, very Christian, very loving. Well, that's what... That's what they live in the room. Ranger, she kept saying, they're, you know, they're loving Christian women. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> well, that makes it worse somehow. That's, that's different yeah. than non-loving I, You know, Christian if women. it had been an atheist or a Muslim or something, that's one thing. <laughs> These were loving Christian women. <laughs> so we got to get to the bottom of this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wait, what was your question? Well, but they go on to your next point about because there is like a whole... Like, thing here, this is like a very sort of middle America, like, white crime in many ways, right? Like, there's a certain archetype of person who could get away with doing this. Yeah. That other people could not get away with doing. Could you just talk about that a little bit? It's just, I mean, it's ridiculous. Could anything other than a middle class white guy get away with not having a job for years and marrying women and then taking out these huge life insurance policies on them and then them getting murdered and well, not murdered, having convenient accidents that he gets paid out on. And then he's like, he gets that life insurance policy on his ex-sister-in-law that's going to pay him out if something happens to her. And he's like, please move to Colorado. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. So, you know, again, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about it with Macarini. This is another case where this guy is just like doing all this stuff and just nobody seems to think to question it. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, he seemed really controlling. And, you know, it's kind of weird that he was getting the checks that I was sending to my daughter and depositing them in a, his bank account or their bank account or whatever. But nobody really does anything about it. Even after it all happens, just the way they talk about their suspicions just seem kind of weird. Like they said, you know, like they went on this really difficult hike. And that's not the kind of thing you you would want to do on your anniversary. It's like, well, they, they did do it on their anniversary. <laughs> like she wasn't expecting to be killed at the end of it, but that was the plan for their anniversary. And but that's other what they people went and also did. kill on their anniversary. But so like, I mean, if, if it wasn't the thing they would do on the anniversary, why would she have gone? Like, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's just a bunch of like weird, like, why would they do this? Why would they do that? It's like, well, I don't know why, but they did. You know, there's <laughs> just one they, they of the ahead. things that bothered me was like, the, the photo thing, the digital photos, mm-hmm. this photo was clearly meant to lure her. Well, then why yeah. the fuck didn't he delete it from his camera? Like, why right. was it still- Because, because it, well, it was found at the bottom of the, right. the thing. Yeah. It just seems like a weird- So why didn't he just pretend to take the picture? It's like, you know what I mean? No, because he was literally luring her to the edge of the thing. Which is why he tried it again 15 minutes later. Yeah. Come on, get a little closer. Come on, okay. it's fine. Okay, it's so fine. I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying he didn't kill her. I do yeah. think he did. Listen, I do think he killed her. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I do. Yeah. Because I think he did. Because I also do think he tried to kill her by like throwing the thing off the deck. Yeah, that I was do. nuts. Yeah. But, and I, I do, I do. But he also, Kevin, by the way, had some very fucking elaborate murder plots against these women, right? Like he didn't like just turn on the gas in their house and then leave and pretend they had a carbon monoxide leak like a normal murdering person would. I don't want to give you any ideas, Kevin, but like... I already have them. There are a lot of very easier ways that if you wanted to kill somebody and pretend it was an accident, you could do it. This is elaborate. The carjack thing? Yeah. The fuck? 
I'm still not clear on how they think that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. I mean, you think... I think what happened is he killed her and then he put her under the jack and dropped the car and, like, pretended that's how she well, died. Well, I don't... I doubt that she was conscious. No. Um, he was, she was not conscious you know, when he dropped the car on her. Yeah. You know, and be like, honey, just get your head under there for a good photo. You know, just... <laughs> yeah. There's no yeah. way... And, and, right, there was no mark like she was struggling to, oh, no, I've been pinned and... Um, but I just I find it odd that that wasn't picked up at the time of death. Or no, they that, talked there about a, it. Yeah. A medical examiner didn't see anything unusual. I you know I don't know. It just um. But I I kind of took exception with the idea. Well, he there was a the, his first wife died under similar circumstances. Not like, similar. Like she got thrown off a cliff. No, she got <laughs> killed underneath a car that slipped off the jack in a remote area. And like well I. I, mm. I see the connection with them dying. You know what's similar but is that he was there. He was there. That's yeah. what's similar. It reminded me of like a, a much less polished and thought out recreation done by like Kathleen Zellner. This was like oh, the yeah. like the B movie version of like Kathleen Zellner recreating a crime scene with fake blood when they sent all those people out to try to recreate how the truck fell over. Nothing. So let me put a little pressure this way. Nothing. But here's the thing. This wasn't the actual recreation. This was no. them recreating their recreation oh for God. the cameras for this documentary. You oh, know no. what it's like? It's like that Jean Benet show that we watched with the fake milk and pineapple yes. when they had like the fake house they built. Yes. <laughs> Just for the show, yes. not for the actual case. This is not the recreation we did to investigate the case. This is our recreation of the recreation we did. Meta murder. This is, by the way, I think that Beth Shot is actually amazing because Beth Shot did all this shit with a straight face, which is why I think that she should just do a show that is not cheesy. It's an earnest show. Because, by the way, the best scenes are of her just hiking. Like, I just want to follow her around on the job, man. Like, I don't, I don't like cops. I don't like shows about cops. But I like Beth, and I just want to watch her do her work, man, because she's serious as a fucking heart attack. But that's what it should have been. Yes. You know, I mean, that's what they, that's what they were teasing was that this was going to be, you know, a show about crime in the wilderness. Wild crime. And it's not. It's not about crime in the wilderness at all. They could have done four episodes with four different cases and made it a little more like a series or a mini series as opposed to doing one case over four episodes. You know what's wild? To, what? What's wild is that uh, Tony's family was able to keep it together and pull a sting operation on their murderous ex-in-law. Oh, uh, Laura, what do you think about that? Would you be able to keep it together and pretend you still loved a relative that you knew killed your beloved daughter slash sister slash, you know, mother? It would be hard. I mean, the amount of time that they kept that up and that the whole family kept up, up as his behavior was getting more and more outrageous and he was getting more cocky and he was bragging. You know, it did sound like for her parents, um, you know, judging by what like the brother said, it was hardest for her parents to keep that up. And then they all just reached a level. You know, if it was me, I don't know. It would depend on the circumstance because I definitely um, have this ability to sort of carry on uh people a lot of times think i'm a lot more naive than i am because so i don't know i it depends how serious you're naive i want to talk no, about no, <laughs> no i carry that off though and then i get information that way yeah I'm just saying so i might be able to carry this off but i think it would depend i mean if somebody had died i don't know how long i could actually keep it up so good for them i mean because you see they're sending all the information and i was like good for them that must have been very 
like like a sincere feeling of like vindication at the end when they are like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Take yep. that there, uh, golden boy. That's yep, true. You're going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, of course, he did. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Wild Crime on Hulu? Apparently it was made by ABC News. Kind of feels like it. It's on Hulu, available now. It's a four-part series. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should our listeners check out Wild Crime on Hulu? Thumbs up or thumbs down for you? Um, no. It's no NCIS. Let's just put it that way. What? Um, wait, wait. Well, no, what are saying- you saying about NCIS, Laura Bricker? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying Who's that Mark Harmon? <laughs> I just say. Is like, NCIS have a, a thumbs up for you? Is that what I'm hearing? I'm hearing we have a window into a different investigative body. Mm-hmm. Here we have the National Park Service investigators. That's what they should have focused on. They didn't focus on that. So I'm saying like NCIS, like that, of course, it was obviously more stylized and all that. But, you know, they had an opportunity to do something with this that was unique. And basically it was like four hours of Dateline without Keith Morrison. So sorry, no. Toby Ball. It's no The Mentalist, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) This is tough sledding. It's not that interesting. There is a crap load of filler some of the conversations they have with the lawyers in the last episode, it's just like, my God, like, this is not news to anybody. Like, I know that it's hard to convict somebody. I know that it just takes one person to, like, get them <laughs> off. It's just, I'm like, wh- why are we listening to this? So anyway, it's just, it's a waste. I, you know, it's the concept, the concept's there. Like, whoever, like, was pitching this idea, like, it'd be really awesome to do a thing about murders out in the wild and and what it's like investigating those that sounds great what they delivered was not that and it was not good so thumbs down let's make it now let's ruin it kevin flynn what about you man i was gonna at least go sideways but after the discussion i i think it's worth going down um, I think there are people that will like this, certainly if you like the investigation discovery type of story and you want to just root against the bad guy here. Some of it's really interesting, but in the end, it's fairly rudimentary, and I don't know if it has enough legs for four whole episodes. You're right. That fourth episode you know, was all filler, no killer, and so... <laughs> you like that? I stole that from some podcast. Jesus. I forget who it is. It's called All Filler No Killer. Oh, All Filler No Killer? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe that's where I stole it from. Anyway, I, I am in the end. I'm just going to go thumbs down. Yeah, it's no CSI Miami. All thumbs down for me as well. It's not Quincy. <laughs> thumbs down for me as well. That's your whole review. Yep. Okay. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of the week. week. Wow, that's me falling off a deer mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Next week, it's going to be you under a jack. Uh, A baker in the UK has been ordered to stop using illegal sprinkles from the US on his cookies. 
Rich Myers from Get Baked in Leeds says, quote, anyone who's into sprinkles will know what I'm on about. Sprinkles you can get in this country are totally shit. They look wank. They bake wank. bake wank. (laughs) The issue is that American sprinkles are colored with red number three, the same coloring used on maraschino cherries. The particular dye is banned in the UK and the government is not budging. Myers remains defiant. He says if he can't use Yankee sprinkles on his famous raspberry glazed donut cookie, then they'll have no sprinkles at all. Panel, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But what other selections from the bakery might the authorities want to check out? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, I actually looked this up because I was like, oh, my gosh, what else is this red dye in? And one of the things that I found that I was very surprised by was pickles. Really? Um, Red dye and pickles, huh? Um, So if they're having like an Oktoberfest thing at the bakery with some like giant soft pretzels, pickles and mustard, um, apparently they add the red food tie, which gives them that sort of vibrant yellow green color. So Mm. beware the pickles. You never know what's really in there. I mean, just beware anything green like that, I think, really is a good rule. Wow. Toby, but what do you think the other selection from the bakery the authorities might want to check out? Uh, I don't know. Mad cow shepherd's pie. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think? I think definitely the what they call the Toby Ball brownies. Wow. Yeah, they have a little something in them that. Uh... Yeah. I'm very impressed there were no Sweeney Todd references in this segment. That's all I got to say. <laughs> all right, and we're going to wrap it up on that note. Before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We have a dog of the week, and this is actually a local dog. Rebecca, you're going to love this. Can't wait. Jen in Dover, one of our longtime listeners. Hi, Jen. Patreon member. Uh, She says, although we have a lovely house rabbit, three chickens, two huge seven-year-old goldfish, it is the 11-month-old German shepherd Jonah that she is nominating as cat of the week. She and her husband have been married for 31 years, yay, and they have an adult son with profound autism that is so profound that once he aged out of private special needs school at 21, they couldn't find a program for him. So the family has sort of been working together to kind of find something that works. Well, for the last two and a half years, they've been looking for a breeder that breeds dogs that have like a good temperament and that's something that could handle behavioral outbursts from people, and they found the dog angel, Jonah. He has brought so much brightness and joy to their family, especially their son. They have an incredible bond, and the house is a much calmer place. They're able to laugh more now that this guy is such a wonderful addition to their family. So I just thought that was the nicest story, and I kind of want to go write a story about Jonah now. I can't wait. Can we have a picture of Jonah for our newsletter, Laura Bricker? You can have a picture. He has a Halloween picture he sent in as well. Oh, wow. Great. You mean Jonah sent that in himself? I cannot wait to see that. Jonah, yeah. Jonah sent a picture. Wow, Jonah is very talented. (laughs) All right. Of course, if folks want to send their uh, cat of the week submissions in, of course, it could be any type of animal. You can send it to crimewriterson at gmail.com. You can also send it directly to Laura Bricker. You can find her everywhere on the internet. But if you want to tweet it to her, Laura, how can folks find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach you on Twitter or just follow your incredibly smart tweets. How can they find you there? Uh, well, first, I just want to plug something real quick. I was uh, on a long form interview show called The Open Highway, which uh, should be dropping on Tuesday after the Monday that this drops. So um, it should be on all the different podcast apps. And you can tweet to me at Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flint. Uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash 
Kevin P. Flint. Yes, and you can also find me on Twitter or Instagram <laughs> at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and please join our truly incredible community on our Facebook group at Crime Writers On. You can go there by searching Crime Writers On on Facebook, find the page, and then join the group. Support the show at www.patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you'll get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where all of our hiking gear is collecting dust. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Hold on, let me take a sip of my cider from the orchard down the street. Ooh, is it hard cider or regular cider? What is the That's rule? That's what she said. What's the rule on um, liquor before cider? So there's uh, liquor before beer in the liquor clear. Liquor before cider. Ne- oh yeah, never brighter. Never liquor more before- of a fighter. Liquor before <laughs> cider. You'll never get in cider. Oh yes. Ooh. Accurate. Oh my. Cider before liquor, you're done even quicker. Perfect. <laughs> Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.